and seen. Hi, I'm Mike Butler. <laughs> and I'm Elise. And this is Cracking One Open with Mike. And Elise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, y'all. I'm ready for another exciting episode. Mostly, I'm ready for beer, which happens to be like When are you not ready for beer? Yeah. Um, Probably like right before bed. Um, that hasn't stopped you? Early, early in the morning, unless it's like a coffee beer. Ooh, we haven't tried that. That that that's a sign of a problem, though. <laughs> and um, I don't know. Probably if I taught kindergarten or something. I don't know if that's the time. Yeah, I think you'd want to drink more. <laughs> well, then <laughs> I guess never. <laughs> we have a special third co-host this week. That's right. <laughs> we got a pup with us. A pup that's just licking my hand. Yep. She keeps licking the same spot. <laughs> You're going to lose a couple layers of skin. That's fine. <laughs> she enjoys it. And that's what's that's what counts. Oh, so this week we are drinking Party Guy by Hermit Thrush. And this is actually the first beer we've had from Hermit Thrush. We actually tried it on draft a couple of weeks ago at a local restaurant. And it was really interesting and super refreshing. So we decided to hunt it down. And hunt it down, we did. Success! Hermit Thrush Brewery is located in Brattleboro, Vermont, and they specialize in sour beers made with their own house yeast culture. Like, they only use wild yeast. It's never commercial. It's like what they grow, which is kind of cool. When you said wild yeast, I just pictured them hunting down yeast in the wild. <laughs> like, they're just these loaves of bread running wild. Then you got to hunt them down with like a spear and catch them. <laughs> if you miss, do you hear the duck hunt sound? But it's loaves of bread. <laughs> so on their website, they say here at Hermit Thrush, we're dedicated to concocting the best new American sours we can dream up. And we're not afraid to go old school with our style. We combine environmentally sustainable practices with age old brewing processes and a harvest of locally grown ingredients. The end result, a pucker inducing punch to the taste buds and barely a dent on the planet. You really went for those plosives there. Yeah, that'll be fun to edit. <laughs> so their commitment to sustainability entails a few different things. The brewery belongs to the Green Brewery Cohort. And as a member, that means they are committed to reducing their energy use by a minimum of 5% as of this year, 2020. And I'm not sure when they joined the cohort or like how long they were given to achieve that goal, but it's still impressive. And some examples of what they have done to go green include switching to a high efficiency biomass pellet boiler system for brewing and switching all the lighting to LED and motion sensor lights. They've hired a sustainability coordinator to continue working on a few more goals like tracking their energy use and pounds of waste per barrel produced, gallons of water uh, per barrel produced, <laughs> and optimizing their chiller to only use power when it's necessary, which sounds like a simple task, but... Apparently, it's not a commonly implemented thing in a production facility. Ooh, good Weird. for them. Yeah. Go green. Yeah. So the there's some pretty cool ideas. And this is the first brewery that I've come across that really emphasizes being green since we talked about Kent Falls last summer. Yes. By the way, we should totally take a road trip this summer and go back. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, let's get to the beer. Party Guy is a kettle soured session ale and it's available year round. But I like that on their website, the availability is party time. 
And they say, at Hermit Thrush Brewery, we encourage the reduction of waste in any way that we can. In looking at historical brewing processes, we were intrigued by the party guile style of brewing, where the mash from a strong beer is used a second time to make the wort for a lower alcohol small beer. Party guy. Get it? Get it now? I I get it. I get it. (laughs) Is the small beer brewed from our sour barley wine, Jolly Abbott. Sour mashing brings out a bright lemony tartness that's supported by herbal aged hops and a dry malt finish. This is the refreshing, sessionable sour beer that you didn't even know you were missing. So I guess that barley wine was probably real strong. Mm -hmm. Real strong. (laughs) We'll get to it. (laughs) (laughs) So it's cool because this beer is, is the direct example of them practicing sustainability. So, of course, I had to look into what the hell party guile brewing is. (laughs) And the practice is actually like hundreds of years old. It's apparently fairly complicated, but not when you have the right setup, just because it does require additional vessels. The super simplified way of putting it is you make one beer out of the stronger first runnings and another beer out of the weaker second runnings of the wart. But technically, the better way of doing it is by blending the warts to hit target gravities, meaning or meanwhile, you're making more types of beer. Mm -hmm. And the rest of what I read involves a pretty fair amount of math that I'm not even going to I'm not even going to attempt to explain because I couldn't understand it myself. Oh, come on. All our (laughs) listeners really want to hear some math equations while they're while they're doing their stuff. Oh, yeah. You want to hear about the gravities of the beer? Yes. Yes. Um, But yeah, it's all about using the warts to your advantage. Pop the warts differently, boil them longer, give them different yeasts, ferment them at different temperatures for different amounts of time. And then the hardest part is to change the grain to alter the color, flavor and strength. Special thanks to Beer and Brewing for trying to simplify this process for dum-dums like me. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, a little bit about Jolly Abbott, the beer that was used to make Party Guy. It was a special release sour barley wine. And like most barley wines we've had, it was pretty high in ABV like you guest 13 percent that's pretty high it's pretty high it's a strong ale aged in various port sherry wine or liquor barrels boasting a big malt flavor with caramel and chocolate notes and plenty of dark fruit and pecan like nuttiness as well both smooth and complex so it's pretty crazy that a beer can kind of morph into something so different and bring out the citrus uh from a beer that started out as more malty and caramel and chocolatey so I thought that was really cool. They don't add, so they don't add anything in it to bring out, to make it citrus, to add citrus to it. That citrus was already there to begin with. Yeah. And the, the different fermenting process just brings it brings out. out that flavor. I can see that. Well, there's some certain beers that we have that are like supposed to be piney and nerdy and earthy and pineapple and mangoey and, and things. And usually like you get one. Yeah. So or I can see maybe certain things. Yeah, yeah. The other ones. That's true. That is interesting though. So shall we crack it open? It's only the name of our podcast. <laughs> Yet are we all. <sighs> nice crack. Why, thank you. It's a very interesting color. I wonder how that how it compares to the original barley wine. I don't know. When I think barley wine, I think like dark. Yeah. Red. Bubbly. <laughs> well, this is kind of red. And strong. This is very close to the Rosé de Ville kind of. True. Really, but I thought it would like be coppery, more like red like that. Yeah. yeah. It is a little less red than I thought. Mm-hmm. That being said, I had this, so I should know. But yeah, yeah, it, but it, it was also little... in a dark restaurant. Kind of distorted the color. True, yeah. Got a very interesting smell. Very interesting. You can almost smell the sour. Yes. It's weird. I don't. I don't know. Well, 
I don't remember having another beer word that it was so clearly sour just by like, like I could smell it when I was pouring it. These smells remind me of some of the sour beers from uh, Two Roads Area 2. True. Because Area 2 is a lot of experimental sour beers and they use like a very strong like. Yeah. And well, this is also kettle soured. Exactly. So like that kind of, I feel like that might be kettle souring's MO is that really like strong sour smell like right from the get go. Fair. Which is, which is for me like a super plus because. Oh yeah. As you know. The more sour, the better. I like it sour. I've always liked it sour. You when I was a kid. Yep. Warheads were not sour enough. Challenge accepted. When I was really little, Warheads used to be sour enough. When I was really little, I used to like run for the sink and like get water because they were so sour when I was a really little kid. Oh, I can't even imagine that. (laughs) Right? Because I grew past it. I trained myself. (laughs) You trained your taste buds. And now like Warheads, I like. They're better. They're stronger. mm, I remember them being more sour. Crybabies are nothing. Yeah. There is no candy sour enough to satisfy me. <laughs> and there is no beer sour enough. Anyway, let's try this sour. Pretty sour, pretty sour. Ooh, it is indeed a pucker inducing punch. Mm. We had some weird flavors in this. Yeah. I was just going to say the same thing. I was like, I, I'm just having a, a fruity party in my mouth right now. Dog sniffing the mic. Dog sniffing the mic. <laughs> oh, she smells that fruit. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Give me that beer. <laughs> I'm what, 21. What, what is it with dogs and beer? I don't know. That's why some breweries make little dog beers. Yeah. Dog brews. It's probably the breadiness of it. Plus yeah, this, maybe. They oh, probably she's smell the sugar. It's got so many interesting I kind of get apple. Honestly, and this is going to sound really weird. Yeah. The very first taste I got. Mm-hmm. Was like a hamburger on the grill in the middle of summer. What? That was, I think, maybe it's just the summertime or flavor, or that was the first thing that hit me. That is so strange. Outside in the summer, like a, uh, Not that a I burger on the grill, but that's what I got. <laughs> and I didn't want to say it because I thought it'd be f- really weird to say. And it sounds unappetizing, but it's it's not. It just well, I mean, it's this, think about the sommeliers that lick rocks. Exactly, <laughs> like that, like hit me in the face right away. It was like that summertime mm-hmm. burgers on the grill. I can still like once you take a, a sip and it the taste of it kind of settles in your mouth. I can totally see how this comes from a barley wine. Oh yeah, I can. I can absolutely. Obviously, the first time I had it, I didn't know it came from a barley wine, but yeah, yeah, I can. I can definitely see that. I don't know if I can distinguish a specific fruit out of this other than sour. Yeah. <laughs> Which again, I don't. I, like. I don't get straight up lemon. Bless, Bless you. you. Bless you. Oh. Bless you. Adorbs. Yeah. You know, if I could, if I had to guess one, I mm-hmm. would guess the lemon. Yeah. Oh. Bless you again. It's a very, I don't know if I would call it hazy, but it's just like, it's not hazy like an IPA would be. Nah, this shit is hazy, yo. But yeah, the, you can't, this, I mean, it's hazy in color, but I don't think the haze means the same. No. But maybe it does. But it's a very interesting orange, coppery color. We're going back in to find some flavors. Okay. Dive in. Head first. It's really hard to distinguish. It is. It's just, it is what it is. It's yeah. it's a beer that's really sour and really fruity. It's, it's, it's lemony in its tartness. Mm-hmm. Maybe some kind of strawberry-ish. I could maybe see that. Raspberry. Some kind of red berry. But yeah, I can't pick out anything specific and be like, it's this. Mm. It me- is refreshing though. Oh yeah. I love it. It's yeah. soury. This is definitely something that we should pick up again for the summer. Yes, Especially considering sour. it's only uh, 3%. It's nice and light. So the can 
is really nice. Mm-hmm. It is pink, near like neon pink. Yeah. With gold rims on the top and bottom. And mm-hmm. the Hermit Thrush logo is in gold as well. And it's a big part of the can. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a little, I don't do know, you, kind of bird do you know? <gasps> what kind of bird is it? It's a hermit thrush. Oh, a hermit thrush is yeah. a type of bird? Nice. Fun fact, when you Google hermit thrush, the bird comes up before the brewery. <laughs> nice. So it's a hermit thrush bird with a little little, little piece won- of wheat in his mouth. I'm wondering if that's supposed to signify the yeast, that the wild yeast that they use. Oh, maybe. Maybe it hunted down the yeast. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't find an explanation of the logo on the website, so I'm, I'm just grabbing at straws. <laughs> the two T's. The tea at the end of Hermit and the tea at the beginning of Thrush make up the little perch that the bird is standing on. Mm-hmm. It's all a very shiny gold. It's uh, reflective. You'll be able to see that when you, uh, the reflection of that comes out pretty clear in the promotional pictures we we took for this That beer. we just shot. Uh, the can is absolutely made at the brewery. I mean, you can still kind of see where it was stuck there's on. There's like air the bubbles. Glue, there's yeah. air bubbles and stuff. Like That's a, cool though. The, the mark of independence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, turn, or, turn it around. It's, it's the, got the independent uh, yeah. craft on it. Uh, it's got party guy, just as party guy and a yellow, like a Tweety Bird yellow colored font, a kettle soured session ale. It's got two lines going down it, a pink line and then that Tweety Bird yellow type line. On the side of the logo, it says party guile brew packs in flavor, but keeps it crushable. Sour with native lactobacillus. Alcohol 3% by volume. On the other side of the can, it says we harness local wild cultures with local hops to create fresh and bright kettle sour ales. But yeah, I mean, I, I like the can. The can really grabs your attention because of how pink it is. Yeah. And it really kind of kind of shows you what kind of beer you're getting. Like you read it, it says sour to session nail, so you know it's crushable. That pink kind of shows you the fruitiness mm-hmm. of the beer. And just by the color, without you showing you any fruits, without showing you the beer, you kind of get what you're getting in this can when you pour it out. Because mm-hmm. once you drink it, like that color is kind of what you taste. <laughs> I think that's Am I the, wrong? Uh, I think it's the power <laughs> of suggestion. Well, I've been suggested that it tastes like that pink. <laughs> And it does <laughs> in a good way. It's so sour. It makes all my taste buds go wee. <laughs> very interesting. Very good. Yeah, I definitely want to try something else by them. Mm-hmm. We had this at the, at the local restaurant, Prime 16. Mm-hmm. And I ordered it because it was a sour. And of course I had to try it. Of course you did. And I liked it. And we decided this was going to be an episode. And here it is. And here it is. Yeah, it's just as good as I remember. All right, baby. I think that's good on the brew. You ready to uh, talk some news? News and reviews. reviews. What you got for us today? Um. Well, first, I have an update on Lizzie McGuire. So if you are a regular listener, you guys know that I've been following the news of the Lizzie McGuire revival on Disney Plus very closely. And sadly, the last thing we heard that was that production was put on hold. And just this past week, news broke about another show, a spinoff of Love, Simon, being moved to from Disney Plus to Hulu over fears that it wasn't, quote, family friendly enough. And right after that, Terry Minsky, who was the original showrunner for Lizzie McGuire, did indeed confirm that production on Lizzie was shut down in part, at least because of a difference of opinion between her and Disney. And Hilary Duff also made a public statement, almost kind of a plea to Disney, in fact, for them to consider moving Lizzie McGuire to Hulu as well to allow them to honor the fans' relationship with Lizzie, who, like me, grew up seeing themselves in her. She goes on to say, I'd be doing a disservice to everyone by limiting the realities of a 30-year-old's journey to living under the ceiling of a PG rating. It's important to me that her experiences as a teenager navigating life were authentic. Her next chapters are equally as real and relatable. So 
Here's me keeping my fingers and toes crossed that Disney takes this suggestion <laughs> and allows production to move forward. Da, da, da. Yeah, I've I've been watching it. I'm all, I'm almost all caught up on the the two seasons. The second season is surprisingly long. It's only like almost thirty episodes, but I don't know what I'm gonna do. I, like I was trying to to binge it in time to start watching the new season, and now now it's not coming anytime soon. It makes me sad. Dun dun dun! What you got, punk? Don't you ever call me a punk again. Well, don't mock me, <laughs> and I won't have to. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Mr. DNA. I come from your blood. My blood? Dino blood. Oh. So, you know what that means. <laughs> Is that where I'm supposed to edit in Jurassic Park music? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Do, 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 do. You can actually do it through this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> so it was uh, today announced, or sometime close to today, uh, that scientists have discovered organic material within a 75 million year old dinosaur fossil, including cartilage cells, proteins, chromosomes, and DNA. Right, row. That's right. It might not be the dinosaur you want, <laughs> but it's a dinosaur nonetheless. Gonna be a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Researchers from the Chinese Academy of Sciences and North Carolina University published a paper on National Science Review detailing the discovery. It was found in the skull of a hypochrosaurus. It's a duck-billed herbivore that lived in the Cretaceous period, and it was really young when it died. Uh, I don't know what a hypochrosaurus really looks like. Duck-billed herbivore reminds me of like an iguanodon, probably, or a pachycephalosaurus, mm-hmm. something like that. So... This is thought. This is amazing news because a lot of people didn't think DNA could last this long. Um, yeah. A lot of modern day thinking believes that DNA doesn't last more than a million years, which is why some people go like, oh, you know, the idea of Jurassic Park and 65 million plus year old DNA is mm-hmm. all bunk. It doesn't work. make sense. The science is stupid. But I mean, this is 75 million year old fossil. This isn't even stuck in amber and, and anything. This is exposed to the elements. That's crazy. Getting messed around. So this is really exciting news. DNA can last for tens of millions of years. Who knows what we can find in other fossilized dinosaurs or in bugs or anywhere that we can find something Mm -hmm. that we can really go in and try to find some dinosaur DNA. And I can finally make the Jurassic Park of my dreams. Listen, <laughs> I played Jurassic Park Evolution, the game. I did pretty well making my different dinosaur parks. You did. I think, that was the one I watched you. Right? I think I can do this. Yes, I think <laughs> I can do this. This is just one step closer to my Jurassic Park becoming a reality. And let's be honest, after Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, I think we could all use a new Jurassic Park. Ouch. Yeah, that's right. It wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that is my news. Shots fired. <laughs> because... I'm going to make some dinosaurs. <laughs> Might be a little while before you get to build your own. I hope that you want a pet hypochrosaurus because I am making a pet hypochrosaurus. <laughs> I guess I don't have much of a choice then. You have no choice. Is he going to get along with our, our cat and dog in the future? I have a hypochrosaurus. And no, because he's going to have to live somewhere else. I'm going to have to have like a ranch for him because he's probably way bigger than what we can put in our yard. Yeah. And he's going to need his own lake or pond or river. <laughs> And I'm just gonna have to coordinate off, and it's I'm gonna have to have a couple of it's workers. It's gonna be there. a whole thing. It, it's I have a hypochrosaurus. That's what's important. I have a dinosaur. <laughs> That's my news. <laughs> well, I have a question for you. What am I naming my hypochrosaurus? Uh, hype, hypo, 
Hyper? No. Oh. But I like where you're going with that. (laughs) (laughs) Where in the world is Carmen San (laughs) Diego? So Netflix just released a trailer for the newest season of this animated action adventure series, Carmen San Diego, to steal or not to steal. <gasps> Her answer is always to steal. I don't know why that's a question. She's going to steal it and you're going to have to find it. <laughs> well, this time it's going to be a Bandersnatch style choose your own adventure story. And speaking as someone who was obsessed with this game for the PC back in the day, I am really excited for this adventure to drop on Netflix on March 10th. Ooh, it's coming soon. Yeah, Netflix seems to be like, surprise! I think I remember vaguely reading about this at some point, though. Yeah. But yeah, I never actually played the game. Really? But I did watch the show religiously. Okay. Um, So this story is going to be set in Shanghai, and two of Carmen's cohorts, I guess, Zach and Ivy, who are characters from one of the television series, Mm -hmm. I think it's Earth. They're a brother and sister from Boston who helped Carmen on a previous heist. So they've been captured, and part of Carmen's mission is to rescue them with your help. Why would I want to help a bunch of thieves? They got arrested. They they steal. Uh, Bad kids. No, they were helping her. Carmen San Diego. Yeah. She's a thief. It's it's your mission to help. They get what they freaking deserve. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds like a lot of fun, and it's a format that Netflix seems to be kind of leaning into now since Bandersnatch really took off with audiences, so... Might as well get used to it. No, listen, I'm I'm into it. I, I like Carmen Sandiego a lot. Yeah. I thought the show was really good. And I think I used to have like a magazine thing where you could like really? find Carmen Sandiego. Yeah, you have to track oh, her. Oh, that's fun. Like in highlights, like a highlights magazine for kids or something like that. <sighs> I didn't know about that. Now I feel like I missed out. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? That'd be a good Halloween costume for you. I think I did actually consider that a while back, I, but maybe that's why I brought it up. It was like too. I mean, we always plan our Halloween costumes way too last minute, so yep. there's no no way I was going to find a uh, a red hat. A ginormous match. red hat. <laughs> yeah. I did find the red trench coat on Amazon, though. I do remember that, and it was uh, really expensive. <laughs> well, baby, when you steal the Eiffel Tower and sell it to whoever can hide an Eiffel Tower, <clears throat> you'll where, be all Where set. does one hide an Eiffel Tower? I don't know. You have to ask Carmen Sandiego if you can find her. And you know what? I don't know where in the world she is. Holy <gasps> oh, shit! I see, you what, see what, you what I did there. there? <laughs> so that's my news. Sweet. You got anything else for us? I've got one thing. I'm a. Uh, I don't know if this joke is gonna work, but I'm gonna try it. <laughs> I'm a guy. I'm a bad guy. That's that's a terrible joke. Yeah. Hold on. I can do a better opening. You better cut this shit out. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see how funny I think it is at the time of editing. (laughs) The name's Eilish. Billy Eilish. Or is it Eilish? I don't know how to pronounce it. But. Yeah, neither do I. And a bit of James Bond news because we all know I love my James Bond. It's true. Uh, Billy Eilish has broken a James Bond song record. Apparently. The song has gone number one in the UK. Wow. Uh, it has sold over 90,000 copies in its first seven days in release and racked up 10.6 million streams. Whoa. Now, I can't believe it's got the highest opening week ever in terms of sales because who buys songs anymore? Everybody yeah. just streams them. Yeah. So the 10.6 million must mean more. But again, I wonder knows? how that compares to Adele. I'll tell you. The oh. only other Bond song to snap the number one spot was 2015's Writing on the Wall by Sam Smith. Adele and Duran Duran got close to theirs. Hmm. Uh, Duran Duran, of course, doing A View to a Kill. 
yep. which is actually a really good song and a really bad James Bond movie. Oh. Uh, uh, Skyfall, of course, by Adele is a fantastic James Bond song. Yeah. One of the best James Bond songs of all time. Yeah. Personally, I was not a big fan of Sam Smith's. Uh, Sam Smith's writings on the really wall like was all uh, right. Uh, he's kind of a crooner. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm just not a huge fan songs. of his like it's it's okay style. Like it's his style. It works for some people. Yeah, it wasn't a bad song. Um, I'm actually not the biggest fan of the No Time to Die song. I don't mm-hmm. think it's bad. I just it's not the most memorable. But she does have a very good voice, and it really works for James Bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am surprised that Adele's didn't reach number one. However, it does hold the record for the most weeks on the top 100 chart for a James Bond song. Wow, that's impressive. So according to these charts, which I assume are the Eng- the British charts, uh, number one is No Time to Die, tied with Writings on the Wall, apparently. Number two, tied again, are Skyfall and A View to a Kill. Number three is Die Another Day by Madonna. And also, we have All the Time in the World by Louis Armstrong, which, of course, is a very popular song. And most hmm. people actually don't realize that that song is actually no. from James Bond. That song is at the end of On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh-huh. It was not used during the title sequence. The title sequence was all instrumental. But if you heard the title sequence for On Her Majesty's Secret Service, it's also a very classic spy theme. Hmm. Number Learn five every day. is Living Daylights by Aha, by Aha. I love the Living Daylights theme. I also, also love A View to a Kill by Duran Duran. They're very 80s. <laughs> License to Kill by Gladys Knight is number six. You Know My Name by Chris Cornell, one of my personal favorites, yeah. is number seven from one of my favorite movies of all time, Casino Royale. Another tie is Nobody Does It Better by Carly Simon from The Spy Who Loved Me. I also did not realize that was a James Bond song. I see you learn something new every day. Yeah. There's a lot of ties in this because then number eight is the James Bond theme reversion by Moby. The one he did for Goldeneye. Oh, wow. Uh, which I I think was maybe in the credits of the movie, but it was definitely used in all the advertisements. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Your Eyes Only, tied to number eight with that by Sheena Easton from the movie For Years Only. Uh, then number nine. Uh, Tide is Another Way to Die by Jack White and Alicia Keys and Live and Let Die by Paul McCartney and Wings. Now, Another Way to Die is interesting because Another Way to Die was not originally supposed to be the title song. Really? Shirley Bassey actually did. Oh. uh, What was supposed to be her third James Bond theme. Mm -hmm. And it was called Quantum of Solace. And you can actually hear the theme throughout David Arnold's score in that movie. Yeah, and I remember you telling me this. Her, so it actually appeared on one of her albums during that, that same year, the year after the film was released. So you can actually hear the actual theme. And if you hear her theme, you can find out, you can see that that is the score for Quantum of Solace. Hmm. So clearly after David Arnold already did the score, they went, the studio didn't think that Shirley Bassey was going to sell records, which is ridiculous because she yeah. is the sound of James Bond. And that's why they put in Another Way to Die, which isn't even the title of the James Bond song. <laughs> For the movie and just doesn't really sound like a James Bond song at all. That stinks. Yeah, it does stink. So number 10 is Goldeneye by Tina Turner, which is a fantastic theme song. One of my personal favorites is number 11, The World Is Not Enough by Garbage. Uh, Shockingly enough, The World Is Not Enough film is garbage. But (laughs) that title theme is fantastic. It is one of the best James Bond themes, in my opinion. You Only Live Twice by Nancy Sinatra also ties in number 11. Number 12 is Tomorrow Never Dies by Shel Crow, which is another title song that replaced the cla- the original title song. Katie Lang's Surrender was supposed uh. to be the original Tomorrow Never Dies theme and ended up getting bumped into the credits. And Shel Crow's song, because she was more popular at the time, became the main theme. Shel Crow's theme is very good. Huh. Katie Lang's Surrender yeah, might be a little better. I might actually prefer it. The James Bond theme by 
the John Barry Orchestra. The classic James Bond theme is number 13 on this list. Number 20 is From Russia With Love by Matt Monroe. Uh, number 21 is Goldfinger by Shirley Bassey. Number 35 is Thunderball by Tom Jones. Really? Tom Jones? So I guess this is the place they came in on the charts when they were released. So we've skipped from number 13 down to 35. Yep. Tom Jones. Tom Jones. A lot of people don't realize this is British. Oh, yes. He seems like super like Las Vegas lounge singer. Yeah. But yeah, he's English. Uh, I believe Welsh actually specifically. I'm Welsh. You're a lot of everything. I am. (laughs) Number 38 is Diamonds Are Forever by Shirley Bassey. Number 39 from Russia with Love by John Barry. Uh, number 49 is If There Was a Man by The Pretenders. And number 75 is All Time High by Rita Coolidge. I'm sorry, All Time High came that low. Ha, ha. Ha. I see what happened there. <laughs> so, yeah. Congratulations to Billie Eilish, 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 eh. on her, her win, I guess. Hopefully, No Time to Die will be as successful as her song and will be much better than the film Spectre, which was a little disappointing. Yeah. And hopefully, that Daniel Craig's James Bond goes out on a high note. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing. So we look forward to seeing No Time to Die releasing April 8th, 2020. Wow, that's soon. Fairly soon. Isn't it supposed to be like super long, like the longest of the James Bond Yes, films? it is. Just shy of three, three hours? Three hours. It's with the trailers, it's going to be three hours or over three hours. Wow. So longer than Casino Royale, which is pretty long and longer than... Yeah, but Casino Royale doesn't feel long. No. That's what makes it so good. I think Octopus is also very long, if I remember correctly. But anyway, that's all the news I've got for today. Well, that's all the news I got too. So mm. uh, I guess it's time to finish our beers. So thank you for tuning into this week's episode. And if you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends and subscribe to catch our future episodes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kraken One Open, or shoot us an email at Kraken One Open at gmail.com. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what you got to plug, son? What I got to plug? Well, first of all, thank you to Hermit Thrush for this uh, awesome yes, beer. Yes. I mean, they didn't give it to us, but we bought it and it's good. It's and good. we did an episode on it. Drink so it. It's good. Awesome. Uh, I got a few things to plug. So if you enjoy the sound of my voice, I've got other podcasts I do. I've got. Forgotten Cinema that I do with my buddy Mike Field. It's a podcast about movies that for whatever reason seem to have been forgotten by audiences, whether because another movie was released at the same time that overshadowed it or it simply didn't catch on with audiences in its initial run. We discuss what we love about the movie or maybe don't love about it, but we always recommend you revisit it. We give you guys fun facts on the production and the history of the film, as well as our thoughts and opinions and reasons why it really is a deserving film to be looked back on. Mm-hmm. So that's Forgotten Cinema, available wherever you get your podcasts and ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com. I've also got Two Player Bros, a podcast about two guys who play way too many video games that I do with my buddy Dave Cannon. We cover everything from PlayStation 4, Switch, Xbox, PC, and VR. We got it all. We play it all. Uh, we just recently went to PAX East, so our new upcoming episode will be about that. Uh, actually, it's probably going to be out when you're listening to this, so go check that out. Two Player Bros. <laughs> you can listen to it on t- TwoPlayerBros.com or anywhere you can find podcasts as well. And a special thanks for our theme, which was composed and performed by Joe Record. Till next time. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>